Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and my sweet little papaya, Connie, <laughs> is going to tell us about Jody Plochet. And after she does that, we'll tell you about Zencaster and how we record this fancy podcast you're listening to. The fanciest. The fanciest one. So I'm just going to get to it tonight. Uh... I know that we have had the conversation many, many, many times of what we would do if something happened to one of our kids. I know that all of our listeners who have friends or loved ones have had this conversation. I have had the conversation with my husband where I said that if anything ever happens to one of our kids, it'll be a race between me and law enforcement because I'm going to track them down first. And all my logic would be gone. Like all of any rationality, I think, would be gone. We talked during your episode about comments that your dad made. And I always say rightfully so, because I can't imagine having to be in that position as a parent, family Mm -hmm. member, you know. And having to like, unfortunately, I think doing a podcast like this, it's honestly, I have the opposite effect of what I should think and believe because I like you have to sit around in situations like that you have to sit around and hope that there's enough evidence hope that there's no reasonable doubt for this person to be put away and to have trust in the justice system to work in the way that it was supposed to and designed to because we have seen far too many times it doesn't always yeah exactly the bad people get away with bad things sometimes and I don't know that as a parent I would be able to trust the system to work when it came to something involving my kids. I don't think I'm a big enough person to do something like, like to just be like, okay, we'll let the justice system handle it. I don't think I could. Well, I will, maybe it won't. So maybe I handle it a little bit. And I will die on this hill, but that I know you're going to like, I'm going to have message from some Karen, not St. Karen, but a, not a St. Karen. Not St. Karen. <laughs> not St. Karen is going to message me and be like, well, you can't encourage violence. Like, what kind of message is that sending? But I'm telling you, I think the national law should be if there is a crime committed against a child that the parents get five minutes. We don't even need to just That's five all minutes. we need. Five minutes alone with said person and whatever happens, happens. And if the parents are the ones who committed the crime, then I volunteer as tribute. We will take five minutes with those garbage mm-hmm. bags. I'm making my full time job just to drive around and give this vigilante justice. Vigilante justice, yeah. So Love vigilante, Connie. Yes, always. So you may be familiar with this case, and you may be familiar with the aftermath of the case because it was literally broadcast on television. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it, so. Hmm. It's a, it's a crazy You definitely one. piqued my interest. I'm like, what is happening? Jody Plochet was the second oldest of four kids. He was born to parents June and Gary. Jude and Gary met when June was singing at a local nightclub in Baton Rouge. And that just sounds so awesome. They only knew each other a month when they got married. June told Jody when he asked, like, yo, why'd you get married so quick? She said, your dad made me laugh. He made me happy. And that should be a note to all guys that girls just need a funny guy. We don't need all the macho stuff. Just make us laugh. 
But anyways, so Gary was in the U.S. Air Force. The first year of their marriage, it seemed to be bliss. Jude and Gary welcomed their first son, who they lovingly refer to as Bubba. Things were always sunshine and rainbows for the newlyweds. Uh, Jude noticed that Gary was drinking a lot more, spending a lot more times out at the bars with his friends. And Jude really contemplated leaving Gary. But about the time that she was going to, she found out she was pregnant with their second son, Jody. Well, his full name is Joseph Boyce uh, Ploche, but everyone called him Jody. Things still weren't the best in the Ploche home. Gary had taken a job working for a wholesale liquor store, which I'm assuming if you have a problem with drinking is probably the last place that you should be working. Yeah. So he was drinking even more. And it is one of those hard situations that people find themselves in because Gary was well-liked by everyone. Everyone who met him was charmed by his personality, by his wit. The comment was often made to June that she should feel so lucky to be married to a man like Gary. But she felt isolated and alone. He wasn't necessarily like mean to her. It's just he had a drinking problem and they didn't, you know, they weren't. Didn't see eye to. Like yep. They ended up having another son and then finally rounded things out with a little girl. Eventually, the relationship between Jew and Gary became too strained, and June asked Gary to separate. The kids spent time with both parents and usually spent every other weekend with Gary. In the fall of 1982, papers were handed out at school, just like we used to get, like letting us know what extracurricular activities they were going to be offering out in town that you could sign up for. Jody was given a paper for karate, but he immediately crumbled it up, threw it in the trash. He's like, nope. It wasn't for him. He was an excellent basketball player. He played baseball. Very athletic. And no karate. karate, though. No karate. His younger brother, Mikey, who was at the same school, get, he took the paper home to his mom. And so she's like, this will be a great idea. We'll sign the boys up. She liked keeping the kids busy after school. And... She had a friend who was also signing her setup as well. So we have Jody, Mikey, who is his brother, and their friend, Mark, who they called Marky, which is adorable. There's like Jody, Mikey, Marky. Very like 1980s nicknames. They are. They, I mean, it sounds like the Funky Bunch. <laughs> right? That's what's happening in that, those nicknames. And I agree with that mentality. Like, we are someone who, like, we're a family who our kids are busy and stuff all the time. And it's kind of that mentality, like, the more you have them involved, like, the less likely they are to get in trouble as they get older. Um, I hate it now because I have to drive everywhere and I don't have a night to myself. But, like, I I see where that, like, I see that mentality. You feel like it's good for your kids to be busy. It is good for the kids. Yeah. It's building lifelong bonds <laughs> or whatever they put on the brochures building character building character character development well the three boys only had a few lessons with their karate instructor before he just stopped showing up they said that rick the karate teacher had just taken the money from the program and just rolled out he rick rolled <laughs> I just thought of that. And I said, as so if you don't know Thanks. what Rick Roll is, look it up. <laughs> Everyone knows what a Rick Roll is. If you don't, 
Look it up. Uh, yeah. Yes, look it up. Google it. It's not bad. It's not a bad thing. But this wasn't a bad thing for Jody because, like, he was a huge fan of karate. He was like, all right, whatever. No more karate. Sweet. Thank goodness. I'm done. A couple of months after karate was canceled, a man named Jeff Doucette called June to let her know that Jody and Mikey's name had been given to him by the organization who sponsored the classes, and he was going to take over the remaining eight classes and told them, you're more than welcome to come. I'm going to make sure you guys get the classes that you paid for. And June was like, yeah, this sounds great. Let's do it. In December, the classes began. And after a couple of classes, Jeff told June and her friend, Marky's mom, that he had a few kids that he that were like a fighting team, like a competitive karate team. And they would travel all over the South to compete in tournaments and that they would go for movies and they would go for have pizza. And he wanted the three boys to be able to go have movies with this team. And at first, June was very sketched out by it. She was very reluctant because as Jody would describe his mom, he said that she wasn't overprotective. But she was cautious, which same. And before she let the boys go, she had him completely vetted. She had his police record checked because she had a friend that was like on the police force. And other than a few parking tickets, he had a clean record. So she was like, okay, let's try this. Let's try sending them to the movies with this man. So Jeff had taken the boys to see a movie called They Call Me Bruce. And afterwards, he took them to Chuck E. Cheese. Which, do you remember Chuck E. Cheese back in the day? Not, like, now where they're in, it's, like, sketchy areas, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was just, like, arcade games, like skee-ball and pizza, and it was dirty. <laughs> we're going, like, in the 90s for kids' birthday parties, and I was like, this is the shit. I this didn't is- even go to Chuck E. Cheese until I was, like, 18. Really? I might have went once, but I do not remember it, yeah. I guess like you grew, I, did they have one like in Muncie when we grew up? Because I always used to Yeah, they did. Wayne. I didn't yeah, know like did. the Muncie one was like fewer. Now all I hear about with Chuck E. Cheese is like every six months, it's like there's a shooting at one. There was well, like the last time I yeah. went to one, like a week or two later, there was one outside of the Chuck E. Cheese. And I, it was Mother's, it was Mother's Day weekend last I year. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, and I was like, yo, we just left <laughs> dinner and there was a shooting at the Chuck E. Cheese we were at last week. Messed Oops. up. It is still fun, though. I still like going. So the kids had went to the movies and they go to this Chuck E. Cheese. And at the Chuck E. Cheese, Jeff was able to meet Jody's parents and have like actual conversation, not just like a one-off, like dropping the kids off of karate. Jody's parents were there for an unrelated birthday party with one of the other kids. So he really had an excellent first impression. He was very charismatic. He seemed like he was really great with the kids. Like he was just one of the dudes hanging out with them. So, so he would take them to movies like after karate stuff or he would just yeah. like, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's how it started. He would just like, he had this group of boys that he would. You know, like do stuff with them on the weekends when they weren't going to tournaments. Okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Jeff Dosette was born on February 3rd, 1959. He was one of six kids. And he had it pretty rough as a kid. His dad died when he was a teenager. 
his mom had a plethora of boyfriends that moved in and out of the house. And it would later be reported by one of Jeff's sisters that Jeff had been sexually assaulted by at least three of his mother's boyfriends while he was growing up. Yeah. In one case, he said that his mom walked in, but did nothing. Literally just never spoke of it again, never mentioned it. And it wasn't just Jeff who experienced a traumatic childhood because of this environment. His younger sister would later also tell Jody's mom that she was a lesbian because her mom would, quote, whore her out to local degenerates. Ew. Yeah. Disgusting. And she had gotten pregnant when she was like 13, had a baby by 14. It was just not a good and not a good environment at all for kids. No. This is not like a good environment for any human being. No. And we, like we say, we could say it till we're blue in the face. We could feel sadness for things that young Jeff experienced. And it's sad, but I can still say F that guy for the stuff that he would do as an adult, which is what I'll say. I was like, okay, so what was it? (laughs) Well, once karate started, it didn't take long for Jeff to move the classes to a building that was closer to Jody's home. He started running the classes longer. He would volunteer to take him, his brother, and their friend Mark home. When he dropped Jody and Mikey off, he would hang out and talk to the parents, gaining their trust day by day. Because I get the vibe from everything that I read, including Jody's book. His parents were still very actively involved in each other's lives. He was co-parenting, right? Yeah, very. Before co-parenting was a thing. The OG co-parenting. Jody now realizes that this is when the abuse started, even if he didn't realize it. Jeff would let the kids drive his girlfriend's car and he would sit the boys on his lap while he worked the brakes, gas and clutch. And it started with Jeff just like resting his hand on Jody's leg. And sometimes he would like brush it across like his groin area. And Jody remembered thinking, yeah, this makes me feel uncomfortable, but he probably just needs to put his hand somewhere, like nothing to worry about. He's got meaning to. In March of 1983, Jeff took the kids on the first like big overnight trip. The plan was to go see a karate tournament in Houston and then hit up Astroworld, which not like the Astroworld Festival. From last year or this year, it's um, like an amusement park. Oh, okay. And Jeff had built up so much trust with Jody's parents that they were his biggest advocate for him being such a great guy when other parents were like, hey, is this okay? Like this grown man taking our kids to Houston? Like, yeah, no, it's great. We hang out with them all the time. Jody actually didn't go to this tournament because he had a basketball tournament in New Orleans that weekend. But when his brothers got back from the trip, because even his older brother Bubba went too. When his brothers got back from the trip, Jody said that they made it sound like so much fun that even Gary wanted to go to the next one, like his dad. And after this, Jeff really became like part of the family. He was spending most of his weekends with the Plochets. He sometimes even stayed the night. The adults would play like at their house at their house. The adults would play board games because he's 24. So this guy's 24. He's not much younger than what their parents are. I think their parent, his parents are in their 30s. And how old are the kids right now? Um, In this timeline? Like 
11, 10, 8, and then their sister is younger. Oh, okay. So that I was picturing like teenagers. So they're like No, they're babies. Yeah, they're little. Um Jody said that Jeff became like an uncle figure to him. But as we have seen too many times, he was just snaking his way in, just enough for the family to let down their guard. The next month, they went to another karate tournament in Houston, and this time Jody went. They all piled into a couple of hotel rooms, and Jeff, Jody, and a couple of the other boys were in one room, and Jody's dad, Gary, and a few other boys were in the like adjoining room. During the night, Jody realized that Jeff was rubbing up on him again, but he uh, once again thought that this was just an accident. He's 10 years old, you know. He didn't want to say anything because he knew that his mom would lose her mind and he didn't want to make a big deal if it was just an accident. But the next time they stayed in a hotel, these sort of became like a weekend event type thing. And Jody, was, for someone who didn't want to do karate, he was really good, like a natural. He seemed like he's pretty sporty. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it just like clicks for some people. At the first tournament that he had went to, he placed second, which is like a huge deal for the very first tournament ever. Um, but like a lot of the other boys were wanting to stay and like watch the remaining matches. And he wasn't really into karate. So he had told Jeff, he was like, hey, can we go do something else now? And he said he felt like Jeff was like disappointed and like pissed off at him because he wanted to leave the karate tournament. And Jeff was like talking down to him, like, if I would have known you were into this and you weren't serious about it, I never would have brought you and blah, 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 blah. Like making him feel like shit for like making Jeff feel mad, which is classic like predatory behavior. The next time they were in a hotel, Jody realized that Jeff was purposely purposefully touching and groping him. He said he knew what was going on, but he just wanted it to stop. Jeff approached him the next week at a cookout because, like I said, Jeff is everywhere with this family and asked him if Jody has told his parents about what happened. Jody responded, no, that he had it, and it started to escalate from there. Jody said that he felt like he was testing the boundaries there to see, like, if he could go further. No, because had he told his parents, his parents would have, like, stepped in, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And once he knew that he hadn't told his parents that it, it escalated like to an extreme level. Jody was regularly being sexually abused by Jeff, pretty much any chance that Jeff got. And it started to escalate in severity. But again, he was scared and he didn't want to say anything because like at his parents these weekend were... events at hotels or like at karate, yeah. just in general, general, um, it started just at the weekend events. He would, when he came over to their house, if uh, Jody was, like, upstairs taking a bath, like, Jeff would go in there with him while he was, like, taking a bath. Yeah. And, like, he's doing this at, like, under the, like, I'm not being like, oh, well, he's doing it on the weekends away. But, like, he, now he's also doing it under the roof of the family that trusts him. Like, just whenever he can make it happen. Whenever he can make it happen. That's infuriating. That makes me want to vomit. Things on fire. They even stuck up. Like Jody's parents trusted Jeff so much that 
They even stuck up for him, which this is going to get kind of confusing. So Jody had an actual Uncle Jeff. That was like his biological uncle. Uh-huh. And uh, that Uncle Jeff lived in Texas, and they were having an event, uh, like a karate event one weekend, and Jeff was going, or Jody was going to go spend a little bit of time during, because it was like during the summer, with his uncle, his real Uncle Jeff. And when shithead Jeff dropped Jody off at Uncle Jeff's house, that, like the uh, bad Jeff, kissed Jody on the mouth when he was leaving. And Uncle Jeff was like, nope, like called June and Gary and was like, something's up with this guy. It's not right. A grown man has no business kissing a little boy on the mouth, which. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Especially like, it's not like it's his grandpa or something. Yeah. It's like, I mean, uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. This is. But they told him that he just had to get to know Jeff, that that he was a good guy. He didn't mean anything by it. That's just how he is. During that summer, the karate team spent almost all of their time together. Jeff had started selling LSU, like Louisiana State University mugs, during games. And these things called tiger rags, which is like a bandana type thing, which is another LSU thing. So he had the kids selling these mugs and rags. The kids were even like on the news, like promoting their products and like what they were trying to do. He would tell people that they were selling the rags so that they could play for or pay for karate tournaments. They were selling the mugs for karate tournaments and like to help with the karate environment in the town, you know, whole like a scam. He was scamming these people. Um, He sold a lot of the mugs like you paid up front and then the mugs would be sent to you. But people quickly realized, like, the mugs were not being sent. Mm-hmm. There was no. So it was just, like, taking money for a product that he and people weren't yeah. really getting. Um, the lieutenant governor even endorsed the products. Like, that, knowing that Jeff Doucette was a con artist, a pedophile, like, an all-around monster. So, like, this local store had started stocking these tiger rags that Jeff had developed. Jeff would buy them for a dollar a piece from the manufacturer. Manufacturer, He would sell them to the store for $2 and then the store would sell them for $3. So, And they did this for a while, like, like a legitimate like exchange of goods and services. But in 1984, Jeff scammed that owner by taking $15,000, which that's a lot of money in 1984. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of he, money now. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Um, So he was given this money, like a prepayment for these tiger rags. And instead of buying the rags like he was supposed to, he just took the money. And he was sick. He's like, thanks. Thanks. This is for me. Um, He was sued by the owner because it's $15,000. And he, during this time, he also started writing bad checks and not just like, checks that would bounce like he was forging checks he had jody taking checks from his mom and like signing her name on them and then he would cash them and like he was check fraud so he was scheduled to go to court on march 14th 1984 for the tiger rag con leading up to this jeff had been talking about leaving town 
He kept telling Jody that he had family that lived in California. He would tell him that he was going to leave, that he didn't have the money because he had to come up with $10,000 in order to stay out of jail because of this tiger rag con. And he said that when he left town, he would tell Jody, he said, when I leave, I'm taking you with me. What? And Jody, yes. And Jody was just kind of like, okay. Uh, no, you're not. Like, <laughs> Jody said that he was too scared to even question it. He said that he knew Jeff was a sick individual and he didn't want to think about or even imagine what would happen if he tried to avoid going with him or telling someone. On February 19th, 1984, a month before Jeff was supposed to go to court, he knocked on the door of Jody's house at 9 a.m. He asked Jude if he could borrow her car because he, and the story he gave was that his brother had taken his car to go lay carpet, like do a carpeting job. And he just wanted to go up there to make sure that the job was going okay. What June didn't know is that he had been kicked out of his brother's apartment a couple of weeks ago, and he had actually been sleeping at June's house. Ew, he where? Had- They had like an outdoor storage room and he had been sleeping on blankets on the floor out there. And June had even asked Jody because one time she went out there and she saw the blankets. So she asked June where, or she asked Jody where Jeff had been sleeping because she was concerned that people would think it was her and Jeff that had a romantic relationship because she is going through a divorce. She didn't want people like getting the wrong idea about her. and. I say that because there are conflicting, like, if you read some articles, you, they'll say that um, June. Like there was a Jeff, relationship there. Yes. Okay. And I read Jody's book, and he maintains that there was no romantic relationship, that his mom was just another victim of Jeff's, which I completely agree with, regardless of whether there was a relationship or not. But I don't, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't yeah. change anything. It honestly, it doesn't. Ch- yeah, that doesn't change the fact. Even if there had been a, even if there had been a relationship, it on, it's not. It's not an excuse to like no and honest a kid. I feel like it's worse if they're. That's a whole extra. If they if if Jeff was in a romantic relationship with June one. He's doing exactly what his mom's boyfriends did to him, which is like, what the hell? And two, that's like an extra layer of trust that you're violating by doing that to your girlfriend's kids. You know, like it's. Yeah. And it's just. Uh, and the fact that this guy's just like sleeping in their house without them know, like or at their house without them yeah. knowing that's so that's like stalking. That's so creepy. Exactly. Well, June handed the keys over to Jeff. She's like, oh, yeah, here you go. She thought nothing of it as he called, Jody, come ride with me. Because he had done it so many times. It wasn't out of the ordinary for Jody to to spend time with Jeff. But as soon as they got in the car, Jeff turned on the radio and said, we are going to California. Mm -hmm. Tuck and roll, Jody. Get out of there. They made multiple stops along the way. They stopped at Jeff's brother's house to pick up some of the stuff that he had left there before he was kicked out. 
And they even saw, they were like crossing the bridge to leave town and they saw one of Jody's classmates and she actually became the first witness to the kidnapping and she had no idea. She was just like, spy Jody. Why did you say he got kicked out of his brother's house? They never said. I'm like, like trying to process this and I'm like, what happened that he got I kicked out of his brother's house? I'm for? assuming it has to do with money and the fact that he was like stealing checks and like yeah, hot checks. Probably stealing place. from his brother. That's my assumption would be. The two stopped in Port Arthur, Texas at Jeff's mom, Elia's house. They got into town on Sunday. They stayed there till Tuesday. And by now, June is in complete panic mode. I was like, yeah, well, June's probably freaking out, right? Where's my yeah. kid? She even called Jeff's mom because not only was Jody's family close with Jeff, but they had also met Jeff's family on multiple occasions. He was fully infiltrating the Plochet, like, family. Yeah. So June called his mom to see if they were there. And when she's like, oh, yeah, they're here. Uh, he's going to bring him back. June told her that Jeff had kidnapped Jody and that she was going to call the police if Jeff didn't bring Jody back, like, ASAP. Yeah, good for her. But Elia who or Ela, however you say her name, who doesn't have a track track record of being mom of the year by any means. Mm -mm. She was also conned by Jeff. Jeff told her that, oh yeah, I'm gonna return Jody to Baton Rouge. I'm gonna head to New York to hide out. They left the house. That, that whole sentence is wrong. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna take him take him back right before I go take him right back. from the cops. Yeah. Well I'll get into like how she knew something was up in a second um they drove to jeff's uncle's house to get money for their trip to new york but jeff was able somehow assuming jody assumed it was from his uncle to scrape together enough money for two bus tickets to los angeles so they ditched uh june's car and he puts jody on a bus and they head to los angeles I don't like I'm so just like flabbergasted by this whole story. But like, what's your plan from there? You're just going to take this kid to L.A. and like have a kid like you yeah. know what? What? Yeah. And they made it to L.A. They had a few stops along the way in El Paso, Phoenix. Jeff shaved his beard when he was on the bus. And because this guy literally charmed every person that he talked to, like there were women on the bus who were like, oh my God, why'd you shave your beard? And he had like an answer right away. He's like, oh yeah, I'm going to LA for a job. I'm assuming they're not going to like facial hair. So I'm just going to get a quick jump on it. Like he left his like creeper stash, Ugh. but like shaved the to beard. warn people. Yep. Um, the first day that they were in LA, uh, they we're walking down the road. Jeff was like real skittish because he had just kidnapped a kid. Yeah. And they saw police had blocked off a road and he thought they had like blockades set up. But Jody was like, no, they're filming for a movie. So they walk up there and they were filming, doing some filming for a show called Hill Street Blues, which I'm not familiar with. But this would come back to bite Jeff in the ass. So remember the Hill Street Blues. They walked up to go watch the filming. Yeah. Okay. Like they were filming outdoors. So they're just like hanging out by the where they had it blocked off. So they get there. Jeff has no money. 
So he called and cons one of the karate instructors that he like has worked with in the past. He said that him and his best fighter were in LA for a tournament and their van got stolen. He asked if he could wire them $600. And the guy did. Like, no questions asked. Why does it, it was- sound like the plot of, like, uh, oh, my gosh, the, the kid, the karate kid. Like, it sounds oh. like a karate kid plot. <laughs> but, like, but way like, worse. Without, yeah, without that extra stuff. It's With, like, a- zero wholesome factor. <laughs> yeah, like, horror movie karate kid vibes. Yeah. So they have, it ended up being $550 because, you know, Western Union's got them fees. Got to get their cut. They got to get their cut. Um, But this was enough for a hotel. So they get a hotel for a night. And Jody has said on multiple occasions that even though, like, yes, he was kidnapped, the time spent, like, while they were in California was... I don't want to say the best because that's not like the term to use, but it was like the least traumatic because he was not being abused as often as he had normally was at home because Jeff was so stressed out, like trying to keep a low profile. Um, But once they got into the hotel room, the abuse resumed and to make up for it is what Jody thought. He took him to Disneyland the next day. Like, uh, hey, look, this isn't bad. We can have. Well, so it sounds fun. like that's what he was doing. Like, hey, go yeah. to these hotels with me and then I'll take you to do something fun. Yeah, that's like, like how it rude to repeat. Like they would go to these karate tournaments. He would take them to amusement parks afterwards. They would go to the movies. He would buy them gifts and then horrible abuse would happen. And he said that while they were at Disney World, it was like, a, hey, look, this isn't bad. We can have so much fun out here. You don't even miss your parents. Or your life back home, you don't. You have. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Like you're, I'm definitely not asking you personally if you miss your parents. I'm just telling you. It'll but be you like know. you never left. Jeff dyed Jody's blonde hair black. He shaved his creeper stash. He got a room at a sketchy little hotel, and they had been gone a week when Jeff finally let Jody call home. He, his mom, like the day that, um. They left, so that Tuesday that they left Port Arthur, Texas, his mom had actually arrived in Port Arthur that same day with another uncle. There's a lot of... They were like, we're going to go, let's go get him right now because yeah. he's not coming back. But they had just missed them when they le- when they got there. And two... Well, she June- told his mom he was going to New York, right? Yeah. And to June's absolute horror, Jeff's older sister, Nelda revealed to June how Jeff had molested multiple family members and that when he was 17, he had been charged with molesting a child, but it didn't stay on his record because he was a juvenile. So now June is like realizing what's going on. His uncle Robert is already knew what was going on. And it was like on site, like Jeff is dead on site. But Jeff, like when they talked on the phone to June, he tried to maintain that they were in New York. And yes, you can have Jody bring all of the kids to New York and I will give him to you. To New York. To New York. Where they're not at. In in Jody's book, he made a joke that uh, 
the two of them together only had a sixth grade education because both of them had only completed sixth grade. (laughs) And he said, we only have a sixth grade education, but I knew that this was a dumb idea like this, that this was stupid and that he was going to get caught. But one of, and he just called him a dumbass so many times, like in the book, it's, I'll talk about the book here a little bit. Well, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, that's a fair thing to call this person. Absolutely. Because I haven't seen anything to indicate otherwise. Heard anything. Like I said, Jeff is like trying to maintain that they're in New York. But he messed up because she asked what time it was. And he said it was five o'clock. Instead of the eight o'clock that it should have been while like in New York. Yeah. And. Jody was like, what a dumbass. Like, you're so stupid. You should have said, like, the clock was broke. Because. Yeah, because that'll that's tell, better. You, the clock's broke. No. no. And you can tell throughout this book, um, Jody was groomed. Thoroughly. Thoroughly. That's the, that's the best word. Like, he talks about how he really cared about Jeff. And, like, he had feelings for him. Like, because they had. That's the level of brainwashing that he had. Like, he was severely brainwashed. Poor kid. That's awful. Awful. Um, So the clock being broke did not work. So June is starting to realize, like, okay, they are not in New York. Well, Jody told her, we got to watch a movie or a show, Hill Street Blues. We got to watch a recording of it. They were filming it in the street. So June's friends, who are equivalent to, like, what Meg and I would do, they were like, I'm going to call the film studio. We're going to find out where they're recording. And her friend did. Found out they filmed some in Chicago, but most recently they had been exclusively filming in Los Angeles. So the dots are starting to connect. They're doing this without the cops. They're doing this without the cops. They're just like, no, I'm just going to go get him myself. I got this. And I told you that. Jeff's mom was also brainwashed by Jeff, like when he had taken Jody to his house or her house. But Jeff's mom, she can say like, oh, I didn't know. Like that's, I mean, you know, I didn't know anything was going on, but she gave him his brother's birth certificate to help Jeff get a driver's license when he got to LA. Well, New York. Ew, that's the worst. And also his mom knew that he had molested kids. Yes. If that had happened when he was 17, his mom was fully aware and she was just like, yes, take this child that isn't yours across the country. Probably nothing weird about that. Mm hmm. I was like, like, she should have, his mom should have called the cops. Absolutely. Well, June, being the hashtag boss bitch that she is, contacted a family friend who. Like I said, she had a friend that worked at the police station. His name was Mike Barnett. He was a major with the Baton Rouge Police Department. Mike contacted the FBI. A wiretap was placed on the phone. Jeff had no idea. He And Jeff started calling June more and more, mainly about money. It was like a extortion. Like, hey, I've got your kid. Mm-hmm. It'd be and good what, if you send me money if you want to see your kid. And fuck? exactly. And that escalation to a... Or else, like, I need this or else. If you want to see Jody alive again, this is what you'll need to do. That takes it to an aggravating kidnapping charge, which is more severe. Um, One day, he would make the mistake that thankfully got him caught. 
he had Jody call home collect. June accepted the call. When the call was over, June asked for time and charges, and the operator was able to tell her how much the call cost, where it came from, the address, and the room number. Yes. Awesome. They finally had them. Mike Burnett called the Anaheim Police Department, who <laughs> I would have pictured this like in a movie sequence because the, <laughs> it's time, LA, why not? <laughs> the first time the Anaheim Police Department tried to break open the door where they thought Jeff had Jody, it was the wrong room. I'm laughing, but it's not funny because it's, it's terrifying. Yeah, but if they were like, doc, doc, poof, and it's like, what? It's just like two oh, people sorry. standing there in their underwear. They're like, what's happening? <laughs> but they finally, uh, Jeff called June back on the phone again. Oh, my God. And as he was on the phone with June, he hears a knock, knock, knock. Door gets busted down. Police come in. Guns drawn. Jeff immediately drops the phone. He like sees his pants. Assumes the pat down position against the wall, and a police officer walked up to him and said, "I ought to punch you right in the fucking mouth." Which he I was ought like, to have. I hope he did. I hope he just said that he said that, but actually he didn't. He actually did it. Well, that was from Jody, so I think Jody would have written that he did. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> but that was the last time that Jody ever saw Jeff. He was questioned for most of the night. But he had been so brainwashed, as most child victims who suffer prolonged sexual abuse are, not even just child victims, like victims in general, he maintained that Jeff did not touch him. He stuck to his story until a rape kit was performed at the hospital. He said that he felt a relief because he knew that once that kit came back, he wouldn't have to lie anymore. He went to a group home for the night while they were sorting everything out to get him back home. Um, He had been questioned by a couple of investigators who seemed to insinuate that Jody wanted to leave with Jeff and like it was more of a runaway. He's a child. That's what I said. I read that in his book and I had to stop and read it again because because can you even imagine he's 11 at this point, but like suggesting that an 11 year old is mentally capable like, has the mental capacity to make that type of decision to leave with a 25-year-old man? Like, no, that's not no. what's happening there. And to even suggest that is disgusting. It's gross, yeah. Because, yeah. honestly, even if he was so brainwashed that he was like, I will go with you, that doesn't matter. Like, that doesn't matter. He, he's an 11-year-old little boy. Ugh. <sighs> Jody was brought to the airport to fly home. He met his parents there. He soon went back to school, which he said, surprisingly, everyone was really great. And like students were there for him during the whole process. There was one bully who made like a really shitty comment about what had happened to him. And there was like a group of kids trying to jump him after school for that comment. Good. I hope I said he jump. He didn't. He said they said he ran too fast. <laughs> On March 9th, their family friend, Mike Burnett, the police officer that June knew, Mm -hmm. revealed to Jody's parents that the exam from the hospital had tested positive for semen. Ew. 
Both parents had the same reaction that Jeff needed to die. June even asked Mike if Mike could kill him. <laughs> if she was can't, like, can I? Bold of her. I mean, good of her, honestly, to ask the officer before doing it. <laughs> June told Jody that they knew everything. And Jody was finally able to admit the secret that had been haunting him for a year at this point. Jeff Doucette had been sexually abusing him the entire time. And now I know I haven't I haven't painted Gary in the best light because I had been talking about like how they had their issues with his drinking. But Gary loved his kids. No one can deny that. And finding out that a man that they had thoroughly trusted and welcomed as part of their family had been raping their son for a year, it was too much for him. Uh, so yeah, that would be too much for anyone. That's fair. He had been hanging out at a local bar trying to find out when Jeff was going to be extradited back to Baton Rouge. On March 15th, Mike Barnett and Bud Connor, two officers with the Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge PD, flew out to get Jeff. June was worried that Gary would do something, and they had been trying to keep the news about the flight a secret. Mike assured June that everything was fine. He told her, quote, relax. I have been protecting prisoners long before Gary decided to become an assassin. Yeah, but not long before you decided to hurt his kid. Mm-hmm. Like, becoming an assassin and you hurting someone's child. I feel like that's... It's There's different. a lot more malice behind mm -hmm. one than the other. On the way to the airport, Jeff confessed everything. He said that he wanted absolution. He told the officers about his childhood. He said that Jody was the only boy that he had molested, which I firmly do not believe in either does anyone else. Yeah. No. The three of them boarded flight 595 with a final destination to Baton Rouge. On the plane, he continued to confess. He told him in this comment that made me want to. He said, I would have stopped if Jody ever told me to. No, he wouldn't like, have. No, no. And honestly, like the fact that you have the audacity to say that yeah. makes you. Ugh, you're just trying to save it. You would have just groomed him more. Exactly. But like I said, Gary had been hanging out at the bar and he finally was able to talk to the right person. Because like I said before, everybody in that town loves Gary Pluche. They love him. He was talking to a man who worked with like a news team and he just said, I really don't know when, like, when I thought they were bringing him back soon, you know, when they're going to bring him back. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, let me find out for you. And then it's like, this is his flight details. This is when he's going to be here. So he called June one more time and he asked her, what did you find out when you talked to Jody as far as details of the abuse went? And reluctantly, even though Jody had made his mom swear not to tell his dad and he said it was out of like an embarrassment like he didn't want his dad to know what had happened to him but reluctant june reluctantly told gary and that was it at 9 p.m gary Pluche walked up the stairs at the baton rouge airport and picked up the payphone he got he called his best friend who they call stinky and i love that <laughs> i would start calling you that he <laughs> told his friend that he was gonna shoot jeff 
there were camera films roll like cameras rolling because they were getting the story of Jeff being brought home. And in the video, you see Jeff is on or Gary is on the phone wearing a white hat, dark sunglasses. And what you don't see is the 38 caliber snub nosed revolver that was stuck in his boots. Mike told Jeff as the plan as the plane landed to look for any parent, like look for the parents of any kids that he had molested. Because and like if he saw any of these parents to yell and hit the ground because they were fully expecting him to be ambushed from someone. Uh, yeah, I would. I want him to be ambushed. Like, I feel like I know what's about to happen and I'm da- I'm fine with it. Gary told his friend, the news media is here. I see them coming. Oh, wait, they're going a different direction. No, wait, they're going to walk right past me. He turns his back to the camera and finally told his friend, I'm pulling out, I'm pulling the gun out of my boot. You're going to hear the shot. Prior, like literally right before this, June couldn't find Gary. So she had started calling like the police and stuff like this is what's about to happen. Like I, and Stinky was actually called, which I I still, I can't say that name of the straight face. And he was like, it's too late. Like it's too late. He's there. (laughs) Mm-hmm. As Jeff walked arrogantly through the airport, Gary dropped the phone, turned around, and on live television, he shot Jeff Doucet, or Doucet right in the head in front of everyone. You could hear Mark Barnett yell, whoa, God damn it. Gary, why? Why, Gary? And Bud Connor looked at Gary and said, why the fuck would you do that? Gary said, uh, you stop. guys know absolutely why he did it. And that's why would you said. ask? He said, if he would have done that to your family, you would have done the same thing too. You don't know. You know what he did to Jody. Any father would have done it. I had to do it. He's right. And Gary pled no contest to a manslaughter charge. And he was only sentenced to five years probation. He was given a suspended seven-year sentence. He served zero jail time. Jody would say that he understands, in his book, he said that he understands why Gary wanted to do it. But he actually had a lot of resentment towards his dad for a long time because he felt like his dad should have been focused on being there for him and his healing process. But he could only think about the rage that he had towards Jeff. And he was prepared to go to prison and not be there for his kids. Which, honestly, that was a thought I had never thought about until, like, I had never even considered that until I read this book. I mean, yes. Like, a uh, uh, high-level emotional maturity, 100, I don't know, would be like, no, I can't murder this person for hurting my children because... I need to be there long-term, but you're still in that moment. Like, and Mm -hmm. in that moment, you're not there yet. You're not at that level of emotional maturity. You haven't done that. You haven't done anything to like fully process this other than just think about it and stew on it. Mm -hmm. I get what Jody's saying, um, but I. And to be. Yeah, it's not fair. It's I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm saying to be in that moment where not only did you just get told by the police officers, like, yes, his rape kit, like, 
he had he had definitely been assaulted. Your wife tells you that your son is finally talking about the horrific abuse that had been happening for a year under their noses by in their homes and in their somebody that they trusted. So not only are you mad at this person, you're mad at yourself for letting it happen. And you're like, no, someone has to pay. You made me feel like this. You did this to my kids. And like I said, I understand that he's like, he didn't think about that. But like no person in the first couple days of that happening would, I don't think most people, I'll say most people would not be at that level of clarity. I 100% believe that had your kidnapper been paraded in front of your parents, the same fate probably would have occurred. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like it, like not, we talked like about a- in that episode too, like my dad was literally going to do the same thing, but at the courthouse. And yeah. his friend was like, no, man, you can't do that. Whereas I don't know that Stinky was maybe as convincing. <laughs> and it was so fresh. It's like my son just came home. This is what's happening. It's like. Yeah, that's seriously like you're parading him through the airport. What do you expect is about to happen? I would have jumped out of the ceiling like a spider monkey to that guy. I mean, that would have never that could never happen now. Like now you can't even get into the airport. (laughs) You'd have to be waiting outside. But they Uh, said uh, Jody said in his book that 38 would end up being Jeff's unlucky number because Jeff, they were in room 38 at the motel when they got caught it was a 38 caliber gun that he was killed with and gary was 38 when he shot him Ooh, that is but i highly 100 percent recommend his book why gary why not just for because it goes into like a lot of detail that happened during like the sexual abuse that I don't think is like the, those type of details. I don't think are relevant to like me presenting the case. Um, but he goes into like the like very detailed graphic. accounts of yeah, very graphic details about the abuse. And it also talks about his feelings towards Jeff, as far as like how he was groomed, and it gives like there's chapters on. Him talking to parents about this is how he was able to con my parents. This is how he was able to build that trust. These are the things that you should look out for. And that part of it is a wealth of knowledge in itself. And he that's how he has spent his adult life, like really advocating for victims and really preparing parents and children to how to not become victims. And if you are a victim, how to overcome it. And he echoes the same sentiment that I gathered from you. Like he understands that a lot of people who go through what he went through do not carry on to live like semi-normal lives. But he had the support system. He had the therapy that he needed to, you know, yeah, that's terrifying. Like all of that, everything you just told me just had like, it's so hard for me to like comment on it as you were going. Cause I was just like, geez, Louise, I can't believe this is happening. 
but you can because they're so I don't know I just think like nine 10 11 year olds especially are so just like trying to figure out like who they are and everything that it makes sense that they wouldn't like that they have this thing happening to them and they're like well I don't want to cause any trouble I don't want to I don't want to make it bigger than an yeah. F it's not a big deal but it is a big deal and they just don't realize it yet and I think that it happens often in cases of like sexual assault um when it's like prolonged like the abuse is like extensive and like for a long period of time people like sometimes the victims experience like natural like natural reactions to like sexual things and they start to like feel guilty about it like it's you know yeah. like you know what I mean you know what I'm trying to say I do know what you're trying to say yeah but then I it's do. like your brain especially when you're that young it's well, like you're why just is this a kid happening? yeah you're like what yeah, is it's like why is this happening why am I having this reaction to it if I'm not supposed to like want this like what am I doing like it's it's a very impressionable age without sexual abuse added to it and it's just you know, it's hard. You add the extra layer of guilt that he was feeling because this is one of his parents' friends. Like, you know, like he, yeah, he this spent is someone time that he trusted. You know, he probably felt like it was his friend, even though exactly. it was not. Uh, no. Oof, that's awful. And but he said, like, I said, I'm glad that he's like healthy and happy and like advocating now, but it just, it sucks. Like, and I, mm -hmm. like, not to be crude, but I'm glad that dude got fucking blasted. Yeah, I I agree. And for the for the justice system to be like manslaughter, here you go. <laughs> Seven years, years suspended. Yeah, like they all agreed. They were like, mm. also it's the South, so they you never know what they're going to do. Well, that's what I was thinking. So. I was reading another article um, where they compared this case to uh, Mary, what's her name? Marianne Backmire, I think. And she, it, it was like a few years prior to this, it was like 1980, her daughter went missing and was ultimately found murdered. Um, and the man who murdered her daughter when he was in court she pulled out a gun the mom pulled out a gun and shot the guy like eight times it's i feel like, like oh, i've oh, oh. read about that yeah and she but she got eight years in prison or six years in prison but she did it in a courtroom she did it in a courtroom like right in front of the judge she said that she wanted to shoot him in the face but he didn't turn around so she shot him in the back honestly i see why she probably got eight years for that for that um but warranted like honestly i'd do eight years no problem i, I would have take had those eight years and be like all right let's go i'm gonna I read a couple books yeah i a vacation like, <laughs> conversation with my husband where i've been like if anything ever happens to kids and you don't try to kill the person that did it uh I don't know if I should say that on a podcast. I would get charged with being an accessory someday, but. <laughs> so I'll be like, did you not say in this episode of your podcast, gruesome is it? 
like, yes, it is. <laughs> Actually, yes. Uh, yeah, I did say that, and I meant every word of it. Yeah, and I told you, and I'd be like, and I told you guys at the first part of the episode, if you can find them before I do, like, it's not my fault that I'm a better searcher than you are. <laughs> Honestly, they were doing some legwork. Gary, yeah, Gary and June were really making it yeah. happen. Good Can for them. Imagine that being friends with the police officer and then them being like, this is what happened. And then them being like, well, can you kill him? It's like, uh, this isn't the just, mob. What if we just make it an accident? You know? Gary's like, don't worry about it. I got this. <laughs> Gary's like, you know, if you guys can't do it, I'll handle it. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. That was wild. But you could tell, like, when he's... Because, like, he... And for our patrons, I can't... Look, I can't post this on Instagram because our account will definitely get flagged. And for two reasons. I have no access to Instagram right now because I got oh, a new phone. phone. I got a new phone, and this is how often I use social media. I don't know any of my passwords to any of my social media. You know, and I know your passwords, so maybe I can log into your stuff for you. <laughs> I tried all the normal ones. I don't know what password I made this. So I tried to reset my Instagram password, like for my Instagram account. And it's sending me to a Hotmail email that I don't even know what it is. <laughs> well, I mean, Instagram started in like 2012, right? 2011, 2012? Yeah. Probably so. would be. <laughs> I got to I gotta hack my own Instagram. But, like, yeah, no, people can't hack my Instagram because I'm still attached to a Hotmail account and that doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> but I will post a link to the video because you can see the news video. Like, you can Google it right now if you'd like. Gary Pluchet and it pops up live television because you don't see, like, it's not like it's graphic because it happens so fast. He just drops into like the fetal position and he immediately surrenders and you hear her say why gary why why it's the name of the book <laughs> but gary is sobbing like you can tell it's like a straight up a mental break like he is sobbing like what yeah, the hell would you have done? an emotional response yeah he shot him right in the neck well shout out to all the gary's out there gary Gary actually <laughs> passed away in 2014, but big up so, to Gary. Real OG. He said that he, ne like, even, even, like, later in his life, he said that he would not want other parents to do what he did. I feel like I should put a wink face <laughs> in there. Like, from uh, he, WandaVision, Agatha? Yeah. He wouldn't want other parents to do what he did, but he stands by his decision to shoot him because he said he would have just continued to hurt other kids which i 100 believe. yeah i am shot it's frustrating that that didn't go to trial because i would have imagined that like a lot of those other kids would have come forward or yeah. other kids would have come forward it's ugh, i would i don't know if he would have written about it in his book but what about his brothers did anything ever happen to his brothers they didn't say not that they said or he mm -hmm. said well, he mentions in one, he gives an, ex, he doesn't say who it was, but he does know of one other kid that 
he didn't specify whether like sexual abuse occurred, but it's insinuated because he's saying like, you, I'm speaking to you. And he put like in parentheses, like, you know exactly who I'm referring to. Like, you, this is not your fault. You did not ask for this because he would bribe them with like, you know, Disneyland. Yeah. Like things like that. So, you know, he just hey. is like the monsterist of the monster. Ugh. And he, Jody said that he had started isolating him from especially his dad, which makes sense. You're going to cut that. The person who would notice it first, you're going to cut that communication down is like if you're the yeah in this situation. And he would like he was like driving also, he's away trying to fill that role. Like mm-hmm. I want to be like the man in your life. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Makes me feel sick. I hate it does that. make me feel sick. I just had to give us some vigilating justice. We don't get much of that. No, I do. You know, I love. Uh, you know, I love it too. Makes me really happy. <laughs> I know it's like I shouldn't be. I shouldn't feel so satisfied when it happens. I'm just like hell yeah. But the that's like what happened. Um, like in that case in Germany, like that woman said that she could not listen because the man was on tested like gave his own testimony and he was like saying a bunch of like crude lies about her daughter about like what had happened and she said she got sick of listening to him lie about her daughter and that's why she killed him and i'm like again yeah (laughs) not today satan i would like to think that i could be emotionally intelligent to be like that's not to say like somebody isn't an emotionally intelligent person but it is saying that like you just went through like yes your child went through a traumatic experience but so are you in that moment like that is a traumatic experience and like you have to be able to process that with support and help as well because there is again i've never been in this situation but I know the guilt that I feel when my children get hurt and I'm like around. So I can't imagine, especially if you've had a person like their, the, uh, their actual uncle Jeff, who was like, look, he shouldn't be kissing Jody on the mouth. That's weird. No man should be doing that. And they were like, Oh no, that's just how he is. And then to come and find out that he was actively sexually abusing your kid at that point, like, that uh, like it's just like it would just there would be no stopping it it would be like a pop bottle that was just like pop. yeah i know i said earlier too and his uncle realized that that it wasn't like his grandma or something and i like families have different things about that some families kiss some family like my family not really a kissing family no but, like i know that other families do and but still like that's not even in i see where his uncle was was that with that like hey, uh, you're not like. And sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes these people get so. So close. So close that you can't see it. And they're so interweaved into your life that you're like, I mean, maybe even if you do see it, you brush it off because you're like, no, it couldn't be. Yeah. Like these and they do it on purpose. You know, that's not your fault. That's no no one's fault. That's them being manipulative and creepy and gross. And he got what he deserved. 
Shout out to the and Gary world. it kind world. of puts a stigma against uh, people who have been molested as children. Because I feel like in cases, it just paints it. It becomes one of those like, well, if you've been molested, you're going to turn out to be a rapist one day. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> the percentages of like kids who have suffered for sex from sexual abuse is actually like way less than like like likelihood to grow up and like do that but yeah. it's just it's no i feel that that like i had worried about that as a kid because if it like you do read that stuff like if i if this happened to me well am i gonna try to do it and like it's one of those intrusive thoughts you know like no no <laughs> at no point but like there's still that stigma like, and that idea that floats around there and you're like did, did this make me a bad person too and no it doesn't no it's just not at all somebody broke your brain and it wasn't your fault accurate man that one was a bummer but i'm glad that he got shot in the neck <laughs> glad that he got shot in the neck they said it it was such force it broke his the bullet broke his neck. Was he really close? Yeah. Like, you gotta watch point blank. Yeah. He literally like he's on the phone. You see him in like his striped like polo and hat. And he like turns around and just So it's just like as he's walking by. So they walk pretty close to the phone, so he doesn't like walk away from it's the, like uh, a, Yeah, it's like a phone bank. And he's like standing there on the phone and he drops the phone, literally turns around like not even 20 feet shooting dang. dang that's crazy i will watch that when i'm feeling better because that one really like <laughs> got me um i don't know that just sucks i will read that book though i do want to read it though. it's really good and i i was actually thinking about you when i read it i think you would really enjoy it like it does it does have like a lot of graphic details about the sexual assault that honestly I just kind of skimmed past. And I get, look, we, I have read the reviews where it's like, uh, some of these times you don't give us all the details. It's like, honey, but you what, don't need those details. What would you use them for? Like, we want to give you details where they're necessary. Like if a, like if a body is found dismembered in bags, mm -hmm. yeah, we're going to tell you about that. But like, you don't need to know about it what exactly happened as a kid was being sexually assaulted that makes you seem weird yeah it's kind of weird that you're asking about it and if you're listening to this feeling guilty so you think i'm talking to you oh <laughs> <laughs> woof well let's do an ad to make ourselves not think about this for a second if you're listening to this and you're thinking i would love to start a podcast you should. Zencaster has everything you need to record and produce a high-quality, ready-to-publish podcast. Zencaster makes our remote recording completely possible because we're busy. We don't have time to learn a bunch of different systems. So please, start a podcast. You're the only you. You're the only one who has your specific opinions. Grab a mic. Maybe grab a friend or two. Head over to Zencaster.com pricing. Use promo code GRUESOME for 30% off your first three months. Or click the link in any of our bios and then tell us about your podcast.
And if you have any problems during the process, just let us know. We'll help you out. Can't wait to hear it. And before anyone comes at me about any of the pronunciations of these <laughs> names, they are the actual pronunciations coming from the people themselves. So don't at me. Or do. Yeah, I'm not going to read it. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. <laughs> You're just making more work for Megan. <laughs> I did. I uh, I took a couple of like two weeks off pretty much from like responding to things. And I am kicking myself for it now. But I really needed to study for finals, which I'm done with. And I did pass. Thank you for asking. Um, but I finally went through today and started responding to like emails and messages. So. If you haven't got one yet, you probably will get a response in the next couple of days as I'm going back through. The emails really caught up fast. Like I was rolling through them today and I was just like, whew, I really could have just done these like one or two a day and saved myself some trouble, but I did not. I suck at doing that. I no, 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 it's fine. Do it, but I just, I'm... My braid does not work well with that. And I will always have the best intentions. Like, I'm going to respond to these and it's great. And like, then I will. And then like, I get distracted and I'm like, well, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you shouldn't. I mean, you're not sorry. I um, love reading. Also, what like, you don't, you're failing to mention is that you do like all of the tech stuff on the back end. So it's not like yeah. you're not. <laughs> I can sit here and record and then I go like frolic in the leaves. <laughs> Uh, it was a very frolicky day today. It was nice. Uh, I I know I said like I like to keep my kids busy, but we are like at peak busy season. And I got this new job working from home because I thought like, it's not going to be much work, but I am working like working. I'm actually working. Like I sit down on my computer every day and I have to work to do things from like the time I start until the time I finish. And you're like, this isn't and, what I signed up for. This isn't what I signed up for. Like, I wanted to work but not work. I have less time now to do things. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> also, I feel sad for you. I'm so sorry I'm yawning. It is 1 a.m. Yeah, it is 1 a.m. I guess we could leave it at that. Good night, yeah. everyone. Have a good night. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should... Click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. 
Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 